And hello and welcome. My name is Adam Curtis and I'm the curate here at Christ Church. And uh, as we come to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, which would be good if you've got a Bible to keep it open. It's page 300, I'm sorry, 1,323. Um, and as we come to Hebrews uh, 10 to hear God speak to us today, let us come before him in prayer. Oh, dearest God, we praise you that you are a speaking God. You spoke creation into being. You spoke humanity into being. Your words lead us and they guide us and they take us to Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father God, for your Holy Spirit now to lead us and guide us and to take us again to Christ so that we may hear all that you have to say, hear and believe and act on and live out. In the name of Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen. Why bother being a Christian today? Why bother being a Christian today? Why hold on to our Christian faith? It gets trashed on a regular basis, it seems, on social media like TikTok. It can get trashed in the mainstream media, which maybe more of us are a bit more common with in the room. Uh, it's not really the road to respectability that it once uh, was, so why bother with uh, Christianity? Or why bother looking into Christianity, uh, for that matter? Why don't you just keep your Saturday mornings or evenings just uh, to, your, to yourself? Why bother? And I can find myself in life asking that question, why bother with, uh, with Christianity? It would be a lot easier in life if I didn't have to listen and live out God's, uh, God's word and God's moral law. Some of my friends, I think, would literally cheer me on to stop being uh, a Christian. And sometimes I just think, oh, it'd just be a bit easier, surely, just to give it all up, to stop holding on. So why should we keep going? Why should we keep holding on? And what has God got to say to us on this, uh, on this topic? Well, we turn today to Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10, and look down with me. We'll be looking through the whole uh, chapter, verse 1 to 18, but look down at verses um, uh, 1 to 11, because I think verses 1 to 11, we sort of have given the glimpses to our answer for why bother being a Christian today. And as we're looking at verse 1 to 11, I've got a question for you. What is the posture that we see here? So verse, verse 11, what is the posture? Day after day... Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. What's the posture of that priest? He's standing. He's standing. Okay. We've got the posture of that priest. What about the posture of this next priest? Verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What's his posture? Sitting. Standing versus sitting. And what does, what does sitting, what does it signify? What, what, what does it look like to sit? What, is it, what does it mean to sit? If I, I'm sat here, this is my, my posture, well, what, what, what does it tell you? It's resting. <laughs> Relaxation. When we finished the community fun day yesterday and we'd done all the tidying up, I sat down. <laughs> and I watched James Bond and it was lovely. When the work is done, you sit down. 
When the work is done, you sit down. And what does, and what does standing in comparison, what, what does that sort of signify? This, this, this posture of, of standing up. There's still work to be done. We're on our feet. We're ready to go. There's still work to be done. And actually these two postures sort of come hit us with the reason why we bother <laughs> with Christianity today. Because with Jesus, the job is done. With Jesus, the job is done. And we see this right from the, oh, we see this right from the very beginning of this chapter, from chapter 10, from verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrifices which the law commands to occur, they're good, but they cannot make you holy. And, 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 and the logic of that is quite simple, isn't it? If, if the sacrifices could make you holy, then, then they wouldn't have to be endlessly, repeatedly required and needed again and again, day after day, year after year. They cannot make you holy. They can't make you holy, but they do teach us something. They teach us <laughs> that we need to be holy, that we need blood to cleanse us. So the law is but a shadow, and if the law is but a shadow, well, the reality is Christ. Look down, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. The Lord does not require sacrifices. What he requires is obedience. He does not desire sacrifices. What he desires is obedience. So Christ comes and takes the form of a human, the form of a man, and he is obedient. And through this obedience, Jesus is led to death, death on a cross. And through his obedience and through his sacrifice and through this blood, sins can be forgiven. This washing can occur and we can be cleansed. But as we're reading that, there might be a bit of, I feel like there's a bit of a white elephant then in the room because as we're reading this, oh, the Lord God does not desire sacrifices and offerings. Well, Lord God, why if you did not desire them, why did you command your people to do them? Whose idea was this? The tabernacle and the temple and the priests and the sacrifices. Whose idea was that? Well, it was God's idea. It's throughout the Old Testament. So if God does not desire that, why does he want his people uh, to do that? Well, throughout the Old Testament, the answer, which we sort of see here in, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, comes up again and again. In, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices, and eat the meat yourself. 
For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commandments about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways I command you, that it may go well with you. The Lord has set up this sacrificial system, and it is teaching us how we can become holy, but it is always, always, forever married to obedience to the Lord. And actually, we see this in the great rebuke that the Lord has for King Saul, when King Saul rebels against uh, the Lord. And after his rebellion, he then quickly sort of goes to the, um, the temple and offers some sacrifice, and he thinks he's going to be okay. And then Samuel, the Lord's prophet, says to King um, Saul, chapter 15, verse 22, but Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than a fat of rams. To take heed is the better than the fat of rams. Obedience is always required with our sacrifices. Obedience is always required with our sacrifices. The theologian um, Brown says, sacrifice is no substitute for obedience. You cannot simply just offer the sacrifice and think, oh, that's done. The sacrifice and obedience are always married together. And so here we have our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who comes, takes the form of a man and is obedient when no other human being ever had been. He is obedient, and so thus we see that comparison, which we looked at earlier in chapter 10, verse, um, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Jesus sits down because his work is done. Because he was obedient. And so thus he was this perfect, obedient sacrifice. He sits down because his work is done. Finishing that section off, verse 14. And through this sacrifice, because of one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Through this perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, all who believe in him are made perfect. And now that we have this new, this new identity, this new reality of perfection, we are now being, we are perfect, and now we, our words and our thoughts and our actions and our relationships are being made holy. Our identity through Christ is one of perfection, and now slowly we're being made holy. This is, this is our understanding of how sanctification works, of growth and maturity works. We come to Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We accept his sacrifice. We are made holy and then made perfect and then slowly he makes us holy. So in every part of life, Christ can be seen and known. And actually this, this reality of what Christ has done for us, well this is what the Holy Spirit is testifying. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant which I will make with them. After that, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. 
And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. There is a forgetting and a remembering occurring within in these verses. The first one is a remembering. The Holy Spirit has enabled this new covenant now to occur, and it is now written upon our minds and upon our hearts so that we can remember all that the Lord God has said to us, and so we can be obedient to it. We remember it. It is placed on our minds and our hearts. But in this act of remembrance, there is also an act of forgetting going on, because the Lord God is choosing to forget. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. He is forgetting our sins and lawless acts. So as we are now able to remember, he has chosen to forget. Because Christ gets a job done. <laughs> Christ gets a job done. But why do we, why do we need to know these, these truths? They're definitely not new truths. We've heard them here at Christ Church before. They're definitely not new truths in Hebrews. In many ways, this is sort of a summary chapter before we, we move on. Why do, why do we told this again and, and, and again? Well, I think part of the clue for why this is being sort of drummed into us is sort of found in the application for these verses, which, as we saw a few weeks back, we don't really hit until the next part of the reading, verse 19 to 25. And part of the application of these verses is then boldly approached, and we sort of explored that two weeks ago. But the other part of the application of these verses is verse 23 of chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Why why do we need to be encouraged to hold unswervingly to the hope which we profess? Why does this early church who received this letter, why do they need to be encouraged to hold unswervingly to the hope which they profess? And as I was sort of pondering on these last few chapters and what leads to this sort of line of application... And I think, the, I think part of the reason is that this, this priest who is standing there and working, that is, is actually very seductive. It's very seductive because you can see it. Because the reality is that we, we don't see Jesus sat here on this chair. We don't, we don't see that. We, we believe in the invisible God. We see God's work in people's lives through the Holy Spirit, but we cannot see him sat on the chair with the job done. He is up in heaven, we are here, but we can see the, 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 the physical priest standing there. And actually, it's incredibly appealing. It's incredibly appealing to see a priest busy at work. It's incredibly appealing to see them wearing, wearing their robes. <laughs> These are my, my robes, which I'll be wearing on Saturday for ordination part two. And why, why, why wearing these, these, these robes? Why, why can that be appealing? Because, because it's something we can get our eyes into. It's something we can get our minds into. It's something we can comprehend. It's like, oh, I know myself. I know my guilt. I know my sin. I know my shame. That priest is doing something. <laughs> Thank goodness. Because maybe, maybe they can take this away. Maybe they can cleanse me. Where, what, where in comparison to the priest robed up offering his sacrifices well in comparison we have this God we cannot see who's seated in heaven with his with his words who's spoken over us all who believe in Christ their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more we have a priest who's busy at work and we have 
a God who we cannot see. There's something seductive, alluring in this image. And that sort of makes even more sense when we sort of think about the context of, of, of Hebrews. Now, we're never 100% sure exactly um, who Hebrews uh, was written to. But there are certain things we can say with, with confidence. We can say it is definitely written to, uh, to, to Jewish believers who have become Christians. But just simply the overwhelming uh, amount of information in Hebrews which relates to the Jewish, uh, Jewish faith. Um, and there's good evidence to believe that it's probably in Israel. It's probably one of the major towns. It could very well be Jerusalem. And if you're a, a Jew who's become a Christian in Jerusalem, well, well, think what you're up against. Think what you're up against. Because as you're heading off um, out to meet with, uh, with God's people, well, you're walking down the main road and loads of people are walking with you. And then you sort of go off onto a side road. And you go off into a side road and have a side road. And actually you find a, a little house. And no one else is around. You sort of walk in and there's everyone's sort of crowded in, in the house. Well, in comparison to that, what are the Jews doing? Well, they're heading down the main road, and they're going to the temple. <laughs> and it is impressive. And there are priests wearing their garments, and they are impressive. And they've got sacrifices, and they're working, and they are impressive. It's like, well, this looks nothing compared to that. This, this is respectability. <laughs> where, where that's just, oh, they're just outsiders. And actually, under Roman law, Judaism was a religion which was allowed to be practiced, where Christianity was not. And that's the reason why for our first 300 years of our history, we, Christians were being persecuted and thrown in uh, to the gladiator arenas. And actually, so when you've got this, this image of impressive, impressive power, stately authority, compared to small, minute, insignificant, well, no wonder... That the, these, these priests who are busy at work, no wonder that can seem so seductive. So maybe that's why this early church needs to be encouraged, hold on, hold on. But what about us? What is the Lord God saying to us here in Sidcup? And as I was pondering on this, it's like, well, what could stop us from, from holding fast? Maybe we've, there's not the allure of some grand temple or some priests or some actual animals being sacrificed, but what, what could pull us away from holding fast to Christ and to the sacrifice he has, he has won for us? And, and there's, there's loads of options, isn't it? The reality is it's going to be different for each of us. It might be that, that when we head out to church on a Sunday, that family member just rolls their eyes and it's just like, oh. Do I, do I really want just even that social rejection from my family? Or it may be, what's stopping us holding fast is, well, every time we seem to go onto social media or TikTok or whatever, and it's just, oh, it's another thing, just slating Christianity, another thing. Oh, maybe, maybe I should just, just let go. Or maybe, or maybe those in the room who've got grown-up children, and, and actually they, they, they've given up with Christian things long ago, and it's like, oh, and they just think, oh, well, you're quaint doing that. And that's nice, but that's quaint. But that's, that's for yesteryear. God, and we just, these little things, it's never big all at once, but these little things can just be niggling away at us, encouraging us just to, to let go. To let go. So why, why bother being a Christian today? Why bother being a Christian today? And there's so many answers you could give to that question. 
The fact that the Lord God has created us and we owe him our everything. The, the fact that there is so much evidence of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that living the Christian way is not only good for us individually, but is good for society as a whole. There's so many things we could say. But the answer, which we need to hear from Hebrews today, is why bother being a Christian, is because with Jesus, the work is done. With Jesus, the work is done, and it is finished, and it is complete. And he is sat, and he is resting. Because our sins, and our shame, and our guilt, it is cleansed, and it is washed. And it is finished, and it is final, and it has no hold over us anymore. And no other ideology, no other worldview, no other eye-rolling, no other dissing on TikTok, none of that can deal with sin. None of that can deal with guilt. None of that can deal and make us clean. Only Christ. Only Christ can. Only Christ has. So let us hold fast to the hope that we have. For he who promised is faithful. Let's take a moment and then pray. Dearest God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus and we thank you that he is faithful. He was faithful in coming to earth. He was faithful in living the life we could never live. He was faithful in dying in our place. We thank you for what his sacrifice has won for us, what his obedience has earned for us, that we, through it, can be made perfect. And now perfect, we are being made holy. Hold us, help us, Father God, to hold fast to this truth and this reality that it is only in Christ that we are cleansed, and it is only in Christ that we are clean. We pray for your help. We pray for the aid of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.